it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Hodgson. Right up from Yager. Finish side of the net. is now in. Glad to have you with us on this thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. BGK, Ballpark Frank, we're going to incorporate both of his adjectives today because we've got baseball to talk about. Steve Sachs is going to join us. Do we need to have a moment of silence for the quake when Steve Sachs comes on today? I have not broke the news to Steve Sachs that the quake is no more. Well, have you officially broke it to our audience even? The quake is no more. <laughs> he didn't die. He's still alive. He's probably listening to the show while he's roaming around and, you know, pimping whatever he's doing out there. You know, the he's, quake. He's changed direction with his life. He's yeah. taken new opportunities and he's, uh, I'm not going to say running with it because I don't think it is a lot of running, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's uh, going for it. Okay, there it is. I mean, I don't do a lot of running myself, so I'm not taking a shot at him no. there. So <laughs> I try to walk whenever I can, though. So All right, so ballpark, Frank, we're going to go with uh, Steve Sachs. He'll join us today. We'll talk some Major League Baseball. And uh, Matthew Holt will join us a little bit later on, talk about the betting side for the big game seven that we will see tomorrow night here at T-Mobile Arena. Also talk to Matt regarding the NBA playoffs and a whole lot more. And then the VGK side, well, we talk about the Vegas Golden Knights last night. Unimpressive performance that they had in St. Paul, Minnesota, losing to the Wild 3-0 the final. That means this series is now tied at three games apiece. A Game 7 tomorrow. Wow. That's all i got to say. Third period destruction last night, really, for, for the Golden Knights. Three third period goals. That was it. Three nothing. What kind of sound effect was that? That was a mistake, wasn't it? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Numchuck. Oh, did we introduce him? Well, there, there's his introduction. Numchuck on the other side of the glass doing his thing. All right. You know what he says to me before the red light comes on? He says, "Let's have a awesome show." Where he said, "You know, no mess up today." Let's have a mistake free show. Yeah. Mistake free show. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And what did I say? Doesn't have a lot to do with the buttons that you push? A lot to do. has everything to do with it. We already had a sound effect. There you go. (laughs) An inadvertent sound effect. There you go. (laughs) Well, they know we're live. There you go. All right, man. Game six last night. Another low-scoring game. No score after two periods. Exactly. It was 44 minutes and 21 seconds before we got our first goal Last night in the third period, Minnesota scored on an odd man rush off a block shot. VGK slow to react. And this is the result. Spurgeon protecting his netminder. Here is Fiala moving in. Fiala stick handles, passes. They score! Ryan Hartman! Minnesota Wild uh, radio network there, it sounds like. huh? That great hustle, 
great pass, great finish for the Wild, the one nothing lead. Pretty much, Frank, uh, that's all they needed last night. But, again, like I said, 44 minutes, 21 seconds of scoreless hockey. You're on the edge of your seat. And I know you and I were thinking the same thing. Hey, first goal, probably going to win this thing. And uh, the Wild got it again last night. We've seen them score first on so many occasions. It's usually been the death of the Golden Knights. And uh, it was last night. They got up one nothing in the third. Well, you mentioned the pass, and the pass on that play to me was everything. It was a beautiful pass. The two-on-one coming down, held it just long enough, then threw it over at the perfect time. Uh, Ryan Hartman, a former Chicago Blackhawk, actually I believe this is the fifth team he's played for. He's been around a little bit, seems to have found a home here in Minnesota, and he just put it over the outstretched glove. Fleury made an effort at it. You know, it's one of those saves. If it hits your glove, it's one of those spectacular highlight reel type of things, but uh, Hartman put it in the right spot. Minnesota's up one to nothing. Now there's still a ton of time left, but boy, you just had a feeling it was going to be an uphill battle, especially in a game that basically didn't have very much offense on either side. Both of these teams were playing it very close to the vest. The goalies were good, but they didn't have to be great because there wasn't a lot of shots on goal. I think it was only 24-23 in the end. Right. One of the few times that we've seen Vegas actually outshot in this series. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, barely, but uh, again, this had the ebbs and flows of your classic playoff hockey and I don't know how you felt, but when that whole thing started to develop with the odd man rush, and you can see, like I said, the, you know, the, you know, the puck bouncing around off of a block, and then here we go. And then when you saw the two-on-one, you see in the Knights you know, trying to hustle back, but just they, they couldn't get back, and the pass was the key, and the finish was spectacular. And uh, the 25% that were in that building last night, roughly around 4,000, probably not even 4,000, they erupted, and you just saw life with the Minnesota Wild. Well, you saw life with them. You saw them all of a sudden going, okay, this is how we've played it. We wanted to play it close to the vest. And Marc-Andre Fleury was kind of hung out to dry. I mean, he's standing there. He's got to play the shot because you can't leave that open. When the pass goes across, that's when the defenseman has to knock it down or do something. But it went there perfectly. And again, Hartman buries it. At that point, you're hoping, well, you have two chances, basically. Either he whiffs on the shot, hits it wide or something, or he shoots it into Marc-Andre Fleury. Hartman did not do that. He buried it in the back of the net. Minnesota's up one nothing. And even though there was over 15 minutes to go in the period and in regulation time, you had a feeling that that one nothing lead really felt like more than one to nothing. It did. But it didn't take much longer after that where the Golden Knights actually had an opportunity. They had a big-time opportunity, and they thought they actually did score. They thought they tied it up. Trips. Out wide, down the left side. Tuck, return pass for Stone. Up the boards, it's Haig. He'll walk it around. Stevenson, a shot, he scores! Chandler Stevenson finds a way! And this game is tied! And Cam Talbot says, wait a second, he throws his arms in the air. He thought he was interfered with. All right, that is the, actually the uh, the national call, the NBC Sports Network uh, from television last night. And I don't know what you thought, but when this uh, shot happened, I said, wait a minute, uh, Alex Tuck is in the crease there. Uh, they could call goalie interference here. The announcers didn't catch it right away, interfering with Talbot. And then once they showed the replay, I thought it was a no-brainer. Go, th- this thing's definitely going to be disallowed. Tuck, you see him in the crease. If you're Vegas, do you challenge? Now, if the Golden Knights are wrong, it is a power play for the Minnesota Wild. After video review, it's been confirmed that. 
the right call. All right, so a lot to unpack there. First, okay, we go to the goal. Uh, Stevenson, great shot. But again, you could see, when, especially when you watch the replay a couple times, you saw Tuck in the crease. He was clearly in the crease. There was some bumping. It looks like Talbot, uh, you know, was obstructed. Um, thoughts? Well, I, I thought he was obstructed. I also thought that Dumba kind of kept Tuck in there and gave him no place to go. Correct. But I think that was by design yeah. because he knew that he was in the crease. He's a pretty smart guy. You might remember earlier in this series where Marc-Andre Fleury kind of bought a call like that where the Minnesota player was there. He immediately called for no goal, and it was called no goal against him. If fans want consistency, if Minnesota's goal was no goal, then this one was going to be as well. So I thought immediately, like you, when I was watching the play, I saw the goal go in. I thought it was a nice shot. But as soon as I saw Talbot's reaction, I thought, okay, Minnesota's going to challenge this. Then it turns out Minnesota didn't even have to challenge it because it went the other way. Because I'm thinking, you know, if Minnesota challenges this and they get the power play for Vegas after that, this could be a huge turning point in the game. Well, it was a huge turning point, but it's because Vegas was forced to challenge. They went with the call on the ice. They reviewed it. They said that call on the ice was correct. And then Vegas didn't do what they were supposed to. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it's a ticky-tack play. I'm not really sure that I like the call. But if you want consistency, which is what people always say they want, then they had to go with the goaltender interference. And I know some fans are going to say, well, wait, it, fans don't want consistency. That's a lie. That's a myth. Fans <laughs> want every call going their way. Right. They want every call to be Vegas Golden Knights fans want every call going for the Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. Minnesota Wild Calls want every call going for the Wild. Mm -hmm. So they don't want consistency. They want it their way. Every trip, every time a Wild player hits the ice, well, it's just incidental contact. Every time a Vegas player goes down, even if he loses an edge and there's nobody around, they want a penalty. That's what fans do. But for hockey fans and for the league, if they want consistency, if it was a penalty, if it was no goal for Minnesota, then last night it should have been no goal. I thought Pete DeBoer had to take the challenge because the last thing you want to do is lose the game one to nothing and then afterwards have somebody say, well, why didn't you challenge that one goal? Because it it, it would have been overturned. It, 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 it would have been good. It would have been called a goal. So he had to go for it. At that point, I thought Pete DeBoer was saying, all right, I'm going to make the challenge. I don't know if we're going to win this or not. I think in his mind he probably knew they weren't, but he thought – my penalty killers have got to come up if we lose this and stop this power play, and they didn't. And see, that was the thing that you know when you saw the goal and you saw the interference again. You know, Golden Knights fans thought it was a goal, and the officials got together right away. Okay, before you know that went to video review, and they discussed it, and they go, "No, we we don't have a goal." So the initial kind of like in in football when you make the original call, now you have to find. Uh, enough video evidence to overturn it, even though it's not exactly that way in the NHL, but it's, it's, it, it put the onus on Peter DeBoer at that point in time that now he has to make a decision whether he's going to challenge it. I thought after watching many replays, and DeBoer looked up, and of course he could see, he has, has to have people in his ear, just like NFL coaches have people in their ear say, hey, this is a good idea or not a good idea. Same thing with Major League Baseball managers. And I just had this feeling that, okay, this is not going to go the Golden Knights' way. And then, to me, you saw DeBoer, I don't want to say arguing with the official, but having a conversation with the official after they said this is uh, not a good goal, this is disallowed, it's still one nothing Minnesota, and DeBoer's talking and talking, and at that point in time, he hadn't decided whether he's going to challenge or not. 
But for me, the way I viewed that, it was like Pierre DeBoer let his ego get into play here. And we've seen this happen before as well, too, with coaches, especially DeBoer saying, you know, no, 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 I think I'm right here. Because that was one, and like you said, there was plenty of time still for the Golden Knights to come back because at this point in time, it's only one nothing. That's all it is. And, and you've got more than 10 minutes to play in this contest when this thing happened. You don't challenge that because if you challenge it and, and say that it, you know, it doesn't go your way, which we knew it wouldn't, then now you're going to go in the, give Minnesota the power play and now you're risking for this thing to be 2 nothing, and at 2 nothing, it's going to be over. That's the risk that you're taking. For me, there's no way in the world he should have, have challenged us. You just say, suck it up. You see the replay. And again, as a head coach, you got to know. you got to know that what's a good goal and what's not a good goal. And in my mind, he had to know that this thing was not a good goal, that you are just putting too much risk and you're putting pressure on your own team now, your penalty kill unit, to do this. And Minnesota's got all the mojo in the world. No, this was not a smart move by Peter DeBoer. And again, I, I firmly believe it. I, his ego got in check here. Said, so, you know, I, I got to stand by my conviction here. I'm, I'm arguing with this official. No, uh, let, let, let's go challenge this. And sure enough, what happened? Minnesota scores two nothing. Power play, ball game. Here's Fiala once again. Fiala shot. They score. All right, two nothing, and we know it ended up three nothing. But as you know, it, it, we thought it could be over at one nothing. At two nothing, it was definitely lights out. Well, at two nothing, it certainly had that feeling that it's like, wow, this is a jagged. And I know some people say two nothing, the the worst lead in hockey. No, it's not. Not in a situation not that late like that. in the game. Yeah, not right. in a game six. Yeah. Not on the other team's home ice right. when Talbot's playing as well as he is. Uh, like I'm going to slightly disagree. I thought the Boer. I don't think he made the wrong move necessarily challenging. And maybe it was his ego a little bit. And I have a feeling that the guy upstairs in the video was like, I don't know, it's probably not going to be a goal, but it, maybe it is because it is ticky-tacky, it is close. And I'll say this too, and Tuck was on the bench, and you could see him, he's basically shrugging his shoulders. He didn't have, there was nothing he could do. Talbot and Dumba, I believe it was, kind of had him blocked in there. He couldn't go anywhere. But he put himself in that situation in the blue ice where he got trapped. Now, could Talbot have backed off? Well, he doesn't have to. Exactly. That's his area. Yeah. You know, he the blue ice is his. He came out trying to look around Tuck. Tuck's a big guy. He's a tough guy to look around. That's why he didn't see the shot by Stevenson at all. I thought DeBoer made the challenge kind of hoping. And like when you said, he was talking to the officials. I think he was trying to plead his case thinking, maybe I can talk myself into that. And maybe that was a little bit of ego going, I'm smart enough. I can tell them why this is. And then when they look at it, they'll see, oh, that's what Pete's talking about. Now give me the call. But I also thought that he has to know there's a very good chance he loses this. And if he does, he knows the stats going in. We haven't given up a power play goal yet. Our penalty kill has been sensational. In fact, on some of the power plays that Minnesota's had, Vegas has had better scoring opportunities killing the penalty. I thought he left it on his team saying, all right, I'm going to make this challenge. We might lose. There's a good chance we lose it. But then you guys got to step up and do your job and kill the penalty, and then we'll take it from there because we still have momentum after we kill the penalty. The penalty killers didn't do their job. Fiala got the shot off. He made the beautiful pass on the first goal. And then it was game over. The penalty killers for the first time in this series for Vegas didn't get the job done. And ultimately, that was game over. Get ready for game seven on Friday. And again, to me, the risk was not worth the reward there. 
Because, and that's the question again, you have to right. ask yourself. And by by saying that, by going with that direction, say, okay, well, I'm going to put this on my penalty, penalty killers. You're now taking two minutes away from offensive ice time because now you're in this defensive mode of of just trying to clear the zone, icing the puck, basically getting it out of there and not being attack mode. Because as we know, sure, you could get a shorthanded goal, but that that's likely not. You, it's that's it's not, likely not happening. Yeah, you, but, but again, like you, you got also a penalty, said, you, unit out there. You don't have your attackers out there, right? But like you also said, even when this is over, you still have nine or ten minutes. Uh, right. You know, almost nine minutes of hockey, or around nine minutes or something, because I believe that goes like right. nine thirty-five. So you still had a lot of time, and sometimes killing a penalty can give you a little bit of momentum sure. too. So I. I just thought the board the board took a took a gamble you know he's in vegas now we gamble here <laughs> this gamble was a losing one you know sometimes the house wins and last night the xl energy center they were the house they won we've talked a lot about the second period last night uh it didn't <laughs> nothing happened in the second period and really nothing good for the golden knights we know that they have outscored Minnesota 8-1 to one during this series in the second period they outshot them 72 72- to 40. Think of that number. They've outshot Minnesota 72 to 40 in the second period. And of course, we remember game five Monday night at T-Mobile, 22 to one. They out, they outshot them in game five. Minnesota, this has been a theme. We've talked about this a lot too. Being outscored 61 to 46 in the second period during the course of this entire season. So the Golden Knights had some opportunities. We had nothing, nothing score at the end of one. We had nothing, nothing at the end of two. Come the third period, uh, the Wild got the best of the Golden Knights scoring three times uh, in that period, and that was it. So now we get to this again. The Golden Knights trailing three games, uh, or rather the series tied 3-3, but the Golden Knights have now blown a 3-1 series lead for the third consecutive season. Think about that. People remember what happened two years ago against San Jose. Had a 3-1 lead. They choked it away. I know people are going to say, you know, what happened with San Jose and all that and that fiasco, but, you know, that was on the road. Okay, now you're coming home. You got a chance to do it. You did succeed in this situation uh, last year when you beat Vancouver. Okay. You, you had a situation there where you're up 3 1, and then yeah. you ended up winning game yeah. number seven. Of course, okay. that wasn't so at it's home because it was in the bubble. Exactly. So, so you're 1 and 1 in these situations, but it still does not take away the fact that you've blown a 3-1 series lead for the third time you know, in, in, in successive seasons here. So, again, they got away with it last year in the bubble against Vancouver, but Golden Knights fans remember what happened in San Jose two years ago. Oh, they definitely do. And Pete DeBoer remembers because he was on mm-hmm. the winning side of that right. one in San Jose. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a situation they certainly don't want to be in. Now, I guess if you're trying to look at the glass half full thing, you're going, well, Colorado's sitting around and they might be rusty for that game one. I don't believe that. I think Colorado's going, you guys take as long as you want. Yeah, and you play can't a even six, look, play can't, a six overtime game on Friday yeah, night for all weekend. No one should be even no, looking no, no, no. at Colorado. No, no, but I'm just one. saying, if yeah. you, I'm trying to think of any positive that you could take out of this. They're in a do or die situation. And I don't want to try to oversimplify this, but this series has really been pretty simple. When Vegas scores, they win. When they don't, they don't. Every game they've lost, they've had very few goals. I mean, the one nothing game to start it out. Last night's game shut out again. Yeah. You know, when they win, they usually score like five goals. 
Well, when Vegas is on fire, they go out and they score goals. When Cam Talbot's been good and the defense has been good in front of them, they have not. And the question going into yesterday's game, we said, what's Minnesota going to play like? Are they going to be that team that we saw at T-Mobile, or are they going to be the team that we saw two games at the XL Energy Center in Minnesota? Well, last night, they were that team again. They muddied up the neutral zone. They got in front of Talbot. They made it difficult for Vegas to get some shots off. And I know Golden, well, Cody Glass was in there. Brown was in there. These injuries are killing us. And they are. There's truth to that. There's also truth to the fact that every team in the NHL has injuries at this time of year. And, yes, Pacioretty's been a big loss, but... He's not your $9 million player. That's Mark Stone. He's not, I mean, as valuable as he is, the bottom line is Vegas needs to find ways to score again. And I don't know what they do to make that happen. Back to your point about scoring goals going through the series. They lose one nothing at home. They win game two by scoring three goals. Okay, they win 3-1. Yeah. All, 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 all in the second and third period. Right. They were down one nothing and then scored three in a row. Game three, 5-2. Game four, uh, four, nothing. four nothing. Game five they lose four two. Game six they lose three nil. So, yeah. And then if there's any saving grace, yeah. Game seven is at home, T-Mobile Arena, twelve thousand fans. But that hasn't worked out very well for the Golden Knights. And no, they've lost two of the three games. They lost two of the three to Minnesota in this series. And if you even want to go back further, okay, you look at the season series now where we're at. These two teams have played 14 times, and the Wild have defeated the Golden Knights eight out of those 14, eight, six. And if in the first two, the Golden Knights won. So if you want to go back to the last 12, the Wild have won eight out of the last 12. And again, have played pretty well for the most part. And I believe some of those T-Mobile. Vegas wins were in overtime as well. Yes. And, and that's we're talking the three on three in the shootout overtime right. scenarios. Right, right. So, you know, again, you can say they're at home, they're going to be fired up. But again, just look at recently. Two out of these three games at home, they have lost to this team. And again, they fell behind, you know, 3 1 on Monday night in game number five in the same building that they're going to be playing at tomorrow night. So they still haven't closed out a series at home. They're 0 4 in these situations where they've had the opportunity to close out an opponent, and this is all time. It, it's, it is scary. There's no doubt. Here's the bottom line the Golden Knights need to finish finish this deal, they need to figure out how to seal the deal. They have not been able to figure out how to close out these series. No. Now, if you're looking for a positive, I did hear a stat. I did not double-check this, but I heard that Pete DeBoer is 5-0 and in Game 7s in his career as a coach. So that would bode well for the Golden Knights. But again, I don't know exactly. I don't put much credence in it. No, a, he's not going to be on the ice exactly. skating yeah, in that. He yeah. can drop uh, the plan or whatever. You know, there's talk, is Max Pacioretty going to come out and do a Willis Reed? Is he going to hit the ice? Okay, we've heard he's skating. He hasn't even been in a practice yet. We don't even know. We haven't heard that he's even been with the guys skating with the team. He's been skating, but is that on his own? Well, how effective Probably would some, he be anyway? And it, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and what do you, are you going to put him out there when he's not ready to go at all? I would be shocked. Actually, I might even be disappointed if I saw Pacioretty because that would be a desperation move to me in a lot of ways, unless they're really, really hiding something from us, which with this team it's a possibility. But whatever players are out there, they've got to find a way to get it done. And now, something we haven't really talked about this whole series has reared its ugly head once again. Who will the goaltender be? I think Marc-Andre Fleury has still earned the right. He's had a sensational season. But as you mentioned, three goals in the third period. Flower was in there for each one of those three. When they lost the game to Minnesota, or, or, you know, when they've lost before, 
Fleury's had the, the the game before, the three goals on the first seven shots of the game. Flower has come down to earth. I'm not saying Minnesota's figured him out. Maybe he's a little tired. Maybe he's just off a little bit because we know it's ebbs and flows. Robin Leonard had a great season. He didn't play that well the last couple games. Cam Talbot didn't play well the last couple weeks of the regular season, but he's playing well now. Goaltending is a very mental position, and it's one of those things where you get in grooves positive and yep. negative. The fact that Talbot had the shutout last night and Fleury gave up the three goals in the third, especially after a game where you give up three goals on seven shots in the first the game before, as great as Marc-Andre Fleury has been this year, he hasn't been great the last two games, certainly when they've needed him. Does that mean you change him? I'm not blaming Fleury for last night's loss. I mean, if you don't score a goal, you're not going to win regardless. But I don't think it should be a conversation. But once again, it is. And actually, to be fair, it should be a conversation. And it is a conversation. He has given up three goals for the second straight game. And it's just not three goals over the course of a game. Like you said, three goals in the first period here Monday night. Three goals in the third period. You're giving up three goals in a period in successive games. It's time to wonder. And I know people are Yeah, they're scoring in bunches on you. Exactly. And I know people are going to say, and they have said, I know they they took to the Twitter and everything last night, saying, oh, he's got to be tired. you got to start Robin Leonard. Okay? This is a big question and a a valid question. And it is somewhat of a quandary here. Do you go ahead and put a guy in the most important game of your season and he hasn't played in nearly three weeks? Okay, game seven is when he's going to get his first start of this postseason. And a guy that, honestly, you really haven't had much faith on faith in over the last couple months. You've, you've gone with you know making him your number one guy. You've done the alternating game situation. Pretty much, Flurry has outplayed Leonard, and you, being Pete DeBoer, have elected to go with Mark Andre Flurry every game. And many games, he's played very, very well. The last two, he's had two bad periods. He is the most experienced guy that you have. Do you want him on that home ice in that building in your most important game of the year, or do you say now, Flurry, sorry for your service, but here we go. We're going to go back to Leonard but it's Leonard's first time between the pipes in weeks and, and hasn't faced his team in, in the first six games. It is, it's crazy. Me, I'm, I'm probably sticking with Flurry. I, I'm sticking with Flurry, but again, it, it, it does make a lot of it interesting does. marks. You can, you can make arguments for both sides. Well, really again, I think I did. You know, Robin <laughs> Leonard, like you mentioned, the last time we saw him was when they had a chance to close out the President's Cup against Colorado. It wasn't his fault. It was only a 2-1 game, but they lost it, and he was in net. What did we hear about this whole thing coming into this series? Vegas has the goaltending tandem. They have the depth at goaltender, That's why you so have they them, have right? the big advantage. Right. Well, if Marc-Andre Fleury plays every minute of every game in a seven-game series that you lose, and I'm saying, you know, I'm saying hindsight if they lose Friday and Leonard, then what did the tandem mean? Mm-hmm. You only used one of the guys. The tandem meant nothing. Right. It was your number one against their number one. So the a goaltending tandem that's talented is really nice to have if you utilize it and use it. But if it never is used, 
then what the hell does it mean? Right. It means nothing. And, and doesn't this conversation sound very, very familiar to last season's playoff? Same thing. We were talking about, and, and Flurry rarely saw the ice. Uh, Leonard was the number uh, one guy. Stabbing pain it, in my it, back all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I think many people will understand that. Uh, Mark Andre Flurry's agent definitely knows what you're talking about. But yeah. We were sold one and one A. That was the term, like the horse yeah. racing term. One and one A. We're going to need both goalies yeah. to advance in this series. You had we're going to need both goalies to win the right. Stanley Cup. They're both going to get ice time. Didn't happen last season. Didn't happen. And, it and hasn't this happened. season, it hasn't happened at all. Reversed. Not literally for outside right. of warmups. It hasn't happened. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you can question Peter DeBoer all you want, and no matter what happens, well, I shouldn't say no matter what happens. If the Golden Knights lose tomorrow night. There are going to be plenty of questions, no matter who he starts or who finishes. Oh, absolutely. Because if Flurry is back in there and they lose, no matter if it's a freak thing, if it's one nothing, kicked off a skate in, in OT or whatever, people are going to say, oh, he's tired. You should have went with Leonard. If Leonard gets started, you're like, what are you putting him in for? I mean, Flurry is your guy, and Leonard, he's rusty. I mean, you and, you, and, you can't win. So sh- they just th- their offense needs to score five tomorrow night and and put this whole thing to sleep. What if you do start Leonard and you get the win? That's then what do you do in game one against Colorado? You, you know where, where we're hey, going. Yes, Robin just won the series. Yeah, Flower was a little bit rusty those yeah. last couple games. You know that's why they're in a game seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, one way or another, the goalie controversy talk is back. Oh yes, and alive either, and well. Either because. We're going into the offseason, or we're going up against Colorado, the other co-favorite to win the whole thing when the playoffs started. Right. Against the top line in scoring in this playoff and arguably the best line in all of hockey. And then you have to go, and again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but if that's what you're thinking, then you got to go back and think, okay, what were the uh, matchups? What were the results like with Flurry and Leonard versus Colorado? So you're going to play that game as well, Well, Flurry too. played gonna, pretty much every game except you, you, for that last one that Leonard lost. There you go, right? Right? So you got to go back and factor that in as well, too. See, people say guys don't like soap operas. Sports is a big soap opera. It's just live and it's not scripted. What would you, what would you call this soap opera? It's not all my children. As the puck flies? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. See, I, I knew you were going to go somewhere with that, like as the world turns or, you know, who knows what. In the crease? In the crease. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's apropos after last night. All right. Steve Sachs is going to join us. We'll talk to Saxy regarding some Major League Baseball. Got a little bit of an incident that happened, uh, and we're not talking George Brett, but we're talking that kind of substance. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Major League Baseball, we've got plenty of that to talk about with our next guest. Of course, he is the five-time All-Star, the two-time World Series champ, and of course, he's uh, doing his thing for MLB Network Radio, Sirius XM 89, my guy, Steve Sachs. What's going on, Saxy? TC Martin. How you doing, TC? Uh, we're doing great, brother. We are doing great uh, as usual here. And uh, uh, breaking news uh, for you and our audience here, I know that you are... You are sitting here waiting for your boy, the Quake. 
And uh, we, we've, we've got some news here to deliver that the quake is no longer with us. That's the right. quake is no longer with you. He's no longer with us, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. The quake. He, he's still alive. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. in case, in case some music makes you think, yeah. that, he's just no longer with the show. He's just no longer with the show. He's no longer with us. I got you. He's moved on. But, but there are repercussions here, Steve Sachs. Two weeks ago, when you were last on the air, yeah, I guess your comments got the better of Quake, and he was beside himself. There were tears oh coming down. Gosh. There were tears coming down his eyes. He had his blue oh. Dodger jersey, the Steve Sachs number three that looked more like elongated eight and eight, yeah. eight, eight, you know, that, that way. Uh, he heard you talking about his Birkenstocks in the batting cage in that weak ass yeah. swing. And I don't think he huh? could take it anymore. He said, my idol, huh? my guy, my Simpsons hero. He, he disparaged me and it's over. <laughs> oh my God. Well, it wasn't a disparaging comment. It was, it was uh, one of admiration. Um, Anybody that can get around on an inside fastball with uh, with that kind of infrastructure, I guess I'll put it that way, is is remarkable. So I'm I'm a no pun intended. I'm a huge fan of the Quake, <laughs> and and uh, I think the I think the Quake ought to have his own show. Maybe that's what's happening, TC. Yeah, you might be you might be in competition with the Quake. <laughs> That's it. No, man. Uh, and, and I'm just joking, of course. Uh, no, he loves you, man, and uh, he, he loves his shout-outs. But no, the, the Quake, uh, you know, he's, he, he, he went on to bigger, bigger well, and, and better things. Yeah. You know, so there it is. Well, he's in demand. Yeah. There's, there's no demand. You know, the Quake covers a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of space. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, a lot of people after the Quake. Yeah. I mean, you know what? He's a... Uh, He's that kind of a presence, yeah. I guess you'd say. Well, yeah. he, he also learned sooner than a lot of us in this business did that when you have a family, sometimes you might want to look elsewhere to support them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes getting a, a real job might be good. Yeah. Now, I, I, there's no truth to the rumor that the, he went into the food industry as well, too. But I think he did go into the beverage industry, possibly. He, he, he did. Yeah. Right. So, believe it or not. He did. Okay. All right. I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, good luck with the quake. Good luck to the quakester, man. All right, man. Uh, hey, did you happen to see the Cubs Pirates today? Did you see Javi Baez? What he did? Uh, did it, uh, it was a routine ground out. I want to set the stage here for our listeners. They didn't see the Cubs are playing the Pirates this morning. And I got a text from our good friend Chris Bosio, who's watching the game. Oh, Chris Bryant, Homer. And I said, Oh man, I forgot about the game. Then goes. Something about Baez and sends me yeah. this video where Javi Baez hit a one-hopper to the third baseman. Baez ends up on second base. Wilson Contreras was at third on this one-hopper. He ends up scoring on a fielder's choice. I'll let you take it from there. Well, I'll tell you what. If, if, if I were – there's a lot of different parts to this, so I'll, I'll okay. try to capitalize it really quick. Right. Is If I were the manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates – I would have yanked out the first baseman, and I would have yanked out the second baseman or the shortstop who was ever taking the throw from right field because he could have been out of second base as well. I have never seen such lack of effort, L-O-E, lack of effort, in a major league game as I saw on that particular play. It's not that these guys are inept and they can't do it. 
It's it's just that they they didn't care. The, did you see the nonchalant way that when the throw came from the outfield to second base, the way he tried to catch that ball and put the tag on him? It was absurd. And, and the, the catcher, the first baseman, all he had to do was run it by as hard. I mean, he's running back to home plate for crying out loud from first base. All you had to do was tag him and then tag the guy coming in home. And he's, he's Cadillacing it down there because he's going to be cool. You can't see the guy streaming from third base. You're looking right at him. <laughs> He should have tagged out Baez and tagged the guy coming to home plate. Simple, simple play, but I'll tell you what. You see this reflective when guys make catches in the infield. They're one-handing it. They catch yep. it down by their waist. They're, they're just too cool for school, man. And uh, that play should never happen. So that's what I would have done. Yep. And kudos to Javi Baez for, for pushing it and making that thing happen. Um, I would have been completely embarrassed if I was the manager. Okay, so I'm going to reset this. And I was going to play the audio portion from the TV broadcast, but it doesn't do it any justice. People wouldn't understand what happens because the announcers were in, in such awe. All they kept going like, what? Oh! Oh! Uh, that's incredible! Yeah. <laughs> they didn't know. So I'll, I'll, I'll reset the situation. So Baez is at the plate. Contreras is at third. Baez hits a one-hopper to the third baseman. He looks Contreras back. At third, he's not going anywhere. Throws across a diamond to first. Baez is running to first base, knowing that he's going to be out. He stops about, I'd say, two-thirds of the way to first and then starts backpedaling back well, to well, well, back well, home. Let me say this, too. Okay, go the ahead. throw was offline. It's not the third baseman. It's the first baseman off the base. True. Right. True. That's true. Okay, so it, it's a little offline, but he's still more than likely going to be out because didn't like, Baez sure. wasn't running hard. And so Baez no. knows he's going to be out, and he says, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, so the, it's offline, and uh, so Baez says, oh, he's going to have to tag me now. So Baez retreats and running backwards all the way back to home plate, and before he gets back to home plate, here comes Contreras sprinting in, and, and then that's when this comes into play, what you're talking about, where the Pirates decide, okay, the you know, first baseman throws the ball home, and Contreras is safe. Now Baez starts sprinting up the first baseline, and no one is there to cover first base. Where the second baseman is, Steve Sachs, I have no idea. No, uh, no idea. You know, right, right, out, right fielder, he could have been there too. He's nowhere to be found. They were yeah. scratching their head wondering what oh, the hell was going on. I, how about this one, Steve? <laughs> Who normally covers first base when a ball's, you know, either hit to the right side or something? That'd be the pitcher, well, right? Uh, <laughs> A pitcher can, but right. but the ball was hit to the left side, I know, and it right. was thrown off line. The, the second baseman has time to run over that when Baez is running back to home plate. So it should have been the second baseman there. True, true. And they throw the ball off line. To, well, the guy's safe at home. They throw. Uh, he's safe at home. Then they try to throw uh, what, over to first base. Baez slides in. Right. The ball is deflected. It goes into right field. I think it was the right fielder, I think, it, or the second baseman. One of the guys picked it up. Throw the ball to shortstop. I believe it was covering second as Baez is now going to second base. Right. And that tag and that lack of effort would have shot me through that dugout. I saw him just nonchalantly try, not even making an effort. He didn't even catch the ball. It deflects off his glove. He doesn't even look for it. And Baez uh, winds up at second base. I, I, would have, I would have yanked both those guys out of the game and told them to think about trying next time they're going to be in a Major League Baseball game. Now, when I saw this replay on TV, they meant, they said that there was also two outs when this happened. 
He didn't even have to chase him down to home. All he had to do was turn around and step on first base. Correct. Yeah, I, I didn't know how many outs there were. If that's the case, it even adds to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah cause, cause, I didn't know how many outs were in the game. Yeah, because yeah. when I heard that, I'm like, if there's two, what? why are you, you – there's not a rundown between home and first base. Just right. step on the oh. base. It, I mean, just you, you walk it back and you tag him, and and, and and that's it. And the Cubs dugout's going crazy. They're laughing. Oh, they were the laughing. All you got to do is it's a, just step on first base. Yeah. So, Steve, here's what I want to know. When, and, and I love your mindset as a manager. That's it. You're yanked, gone. When is the last time you ever saw a manager pull out someone, obviously not a pitcher we're talking about, but a position player in, in the middle of the game? The one sticks out Where? into my mind. Reggie Jackson. There you go. That's the only one. But we've seen mm-hmm. so many bonehead plays. Every mm-hmm. season we see this. But the manager never, ever does that. Yeah. Well, the only reason he did that is because there was lack of effort. Um, What he perceived as lack of effort. Now, I don't know. I I wasn't in the game. I was in high school at the time. I just remember seeing it on TV. But, but, uh, you know, guys look like to make bonehead plays. And if it's not because of effort, sometimes they just physically mess up. That happens. But, But when you do it because there's no effort, that will kill a manager. It will send him through the roof. And, you know, I... If I was a manager and that, I saw that happen, these guys wouldn't be playing for a while, or if, if at all. I just, I just would not stand for people that don't try. Yeah, this happened in the third inning of the Cubs-Pirates game today. Oh, by the way, the Cubs won the game 5-3. to three, So, Hey, if you can confirm, was there two outs at the time? Yeah, I, be- I believe so. Yes, I can, because I remember looking at that, and I'm looking at the situation. Yep, there were two outs. Yes, correct. So, so, so he didn't all have he to, to chase. Just turn around and walk to first and step on the bag. It's done. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Yeah, so, Rob, walk over and touch first base. So here it is, Steve. It's, a to- it's the top of the third inning. The count was 0-2 on Baez uh, when he hit that, that, that one hopper, and, uh, and that was it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I've never seen anything so stupid in my life. Is It even adds to it. Not only is it a lack of effort, but it should have never happened. I mean, wasn't anybody screaming, just step on first, step on first, and inning's over. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't get it. I, I, I just don't. And, and here's I, the I'm, thing, you know, too. The, the r- runs, runs led to that. So after Baez reached, Ian Happ singled to center, and Baez scored from second, and then Bodie reached on the air uh, from, from there, and then... Uh, fly out ends the third. So there you go. But there's two your two-run wow. difference, 5-3, two-run score. Exactly. And, and by the way, I noticed that when they showed it on ESPN on the highlight, they, they made sure to mention the fact of, oh, by the way, uh, that reminds us, the Little League, the Little League World Series is coming up <laughs> because if, yeah. if this is like a Little League home run or something like that, those kids would have been pulled probably in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, it's, I, I'm, just, I'm just flabbergasted that uh, this would even happen. And, you know, it's too bad, too, because something so ridiculous as this, we don't even see this in the minor leagues. You know, you don't even see something so stupid like this in the minor leagues. And uh, you wonder if how much reflection this is going to have uh, on the manager, right? Because, I mean, what is he doing about, about this? That's, you know, the manager of the team is Derek Shelton. What is he going to do about this, and how is he going to handle it? Because... Plays like that and the lack of effort are, I'm sorry, but they, they reflect on the team chemistry, which there obviously is none of on that team, if that can happen. Let me ask because you. Because you'd see, on a normal team, you'd see players, other players getting on players. Uh, they wouldn't stand that because it makes them look bad, too. But 
let alone the manager, the players handle that stuff usually. And to see that happen with, uh, I haven't seen any press coverage of it after the game, but it's, it's really <laughs> not exemplary what we should see in the major leagues. And we've seen runners who get caught in between third and home or first and second, or even second and third that will do that. And they're kind of giving themselves up or they're giving, you know, the, uh, the, the base runner uh, on base as well, you know, time to get around if they get caught in a rundown. But like with Baez, Steve, I don't know. I mean, this guy is, is kind of a quirky guy in my opinion anyway. So knowing yep. that there's two outs, what do you think he, his mindset was when he's, you know, going backwards to home plate, knowing in his mind, well, there are two outs. The Pirates might not realize right. that, but that seems kind yeah. of weird too, because Baez is kind of a sh- uh, a showman, sh- you know, showmanship type of guy. Anyway, yeah. I'm just wondering what's he thinking here. He's just trying to create havoc, yeah. which he did. <laughs> and, and Pittsburgh went for it. He was like a he was like a, a you know a, a big a gigantic beacon out there saying, "Run after me! I dare you! Here I am!" And they actually went for it. I mean, they were dumb enough to go for that. It's, 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 to me, it's astounding that we would see that no players were yelling, hey, just step on first, step on first. And he didn't do it. I mean, I don't know what they're thinking about, but that's what Bias was doing. He was just trying to create havoc, and, and they actually went for it. You know, I'd be interested, too, to know, did Contreras go on his own, figuring, well, the inning's over anyhow, might as well try to score? Or did the third base yeah, that, coach tell a, him to uh, go? Yeah. That's, a, uh, that's an, an instinctive move. That's a, that's a move that you see the quake make. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, that's a move where, and Bias has a lot of that in him. Bias has done a lot of things. He pretty much was the guy that invented that stupid swim move where they jump, you know, head first and then they swim their arms around. And the way you fix that is you just tag them right in the face, you know, and, and it eliminates them getting close to the bag and, you know, kind of like a little lesson. If you want to do that again, I'm going to tag you again like that. So, yeah. but, but they still do it and you still see players sliding head first. You saw, what happened recently with, uh, I forgot what player was it, just, oh, it, it was uh, uh, Marcelo Zuna. Just uh, broke both of his, both of his uh, fingers right. trying to slide in head first. I don't know why they do this, but they continue to do it. Now let me, going back to the fundamental part here, let me ask you, because not only did you play, but you were a coach as well. You coached with the Diamondbacks. And I don't think a lot of our, our listeners really know this, this answer, so I want to ask you, what happens? And we understand that this type of situation, you would never, ever work on this type of situation. But in spring training, you do a lot of situational stuff. You do infield, you do outfield, you do this sort of Steve, what happens during the course of a regular season? 162 games. We know people, people know there's batting practice. That, that's what these guys do. And they feel grounders. But what type of situational work, if any, happens on a regular Major League Baseball game day during the course of a season? Any? Nowadays, zero. They don't do any of it. They don't take infield practice. When I was playing, we had infield practice every day. We had infield practice right before uh, you suited up for the game. You take batting practice, you go in, and then you take uh, the other team would hit, and then you would take infield practice, and they would take infield practice. But today, there's no infield practice. There's no pepper games. You know, people know what pepper is, right, where you get up close and throw the ball, and they just tap it to each guy that's in front of them. They don't even put that in. You ever remember seeing that on the on the uh, no pepper games? Right say, there. No, no pepper. pepper. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't see that anymore because nobody does it. So there's no pepper. There's no infield practice, and you wonder why 
when you see guys, uh, first basemen or infielders, and they try to throw the ball home, they always throw the ball away, don't they? Yep. How many times do you see a good throw at home play? It never happens because they don't ever practice it. And, and that's the way it is. No infield practice anymore. And, and on to this, when did this start? And tell me why this happens, too. Anytime a shortstop or a second baseman, they feel that they're rushed, they've got to feel like they've got to do the one hopper, and they've got to throw the ball into the ground at first base. I watched Altuve do this twice last week, and Wild throws to Gurriel. Why do these guys, are they in love with throwing the ball in the ground, making the first baseman work? And as we know, it has to be just the perfect spot to have that hop. And let's remember this. It slows the ball down when it hits the ground. Well, who started you're talking this? About, you're talking about the uh, play that's batted up the middle and they're, they're going away from first base, right? They, that kind of a play and they have to throw back. and Or even relay, Steve. Or, or even like the, the yeah. turning two. Even turning two, yeah. they're, they're throwing the ball in the ground. You know, well, that's, they're not supposed to do that turning two. I mean, I've, Altuve, as you, well, as you know, had a throwing issue kind of like what I had for the two months in 1983. Mm-hmm. Altuve had that last year at the end of the season and in postseason. So... Hopefully it's not crept up on him again, and he's having to fight this thing off. Uh, I saw him play a few games, and it didn't seem – I didn't see any indications of that. But you never know. It could come back and get in his head again. Right, right. Steve Sachs joined us. There he is, two-time World Series champ and the five-time All-Star. Talking a little Major League Baseball fundamentals here. Real quick, uh, Pine Tar is back. Did you see this? The Cardinals and the White Sox, Giovanni Gallegos – the starting pitcher, or actually a pitcher for the Cardinals, umpire country Joe West, your buddy, comes out, said he saw something on his hat, so he asked Gallegos to switch hats. Gallegos oh. points to his arm and says, oh, wait, uh, this is my sunscreen. So Mike Schilt, the manager of the Cardinals, comes out to argue. Country Joe ejects him, and uh, they're saying, okay, we got to take your hat, confiscate it, to see what is underneath your bill here. People were saying pine tar. He's saying it's sunscreen. But now all of a sudden mm-hmm. we've, we've got all this talk again about pitchers doctoring up the baseball. <laughs> yeah, this is something that's not going away. I think, think what you're going to see is a, uh, a meeting of the minds. Uh, I think you're going to see them kind of say it's okay because they're, you know, after, maybe it's in the next collective bargain agreement, which is after this season, because the overall uh, attitude is I'd rather have the pitcher have more control over the ball and use a little bit of substance as opposed to the ball being too slick and have it get away and hit me in the head. Um, I think that's what the given will be. I would never take that route. I wouldn't give in to anything to the pitchers. But we are in a wimp society. This is the, uh, the, the, the wimp uh, the, the, the wimpification of the American sportsman, and we see it in all sports. And I think that's what you're going to see in baseball, the collective bargain agreement. They're going to wimp out. And they're going to say, okay, let's let them use pine tar. Well, why, why don't you let them use, uh, you know, let them use Apple phones and, and buzzers and, and all kinds of stuff, too. If you're going to let them do that, just let them get away with anything. And, oh, by the way, don't slide into anybody. You might hurt them. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, people are cashing their tickets because we usually get that, that Steve Sachs uh, wimpification, wissification of America, <laughs> and we got it. Pay that yeah, man right. his money. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> True. Great stuff, man. Great stuff. When are you on? Uh, when are you on MLB Network Radio again? I'll be on. Uh, let's see. Today is. I was just on Tuesday night. I'll be on Saturday night. All right. um, so yeah, and uh, also TC, I'm yes. going to come back on your show. Yes. 
when I launch my podcast, which is going to be the, it's not going to be just a podcast. It's going to be unbelievable. You won't believe the things I'm going to have on my podcast. We're going to be launching it just after the all-star break. So wait till you hear this. Yes, there it is. That that's the ultimate tease, a month and a half tease. I love it. Yeah. 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 We're going to have Hall of Famers on there. We're going to have historical stuff. We're going to have we're going to have stories that nobody else has ever heard before. We're going to have uh, some of the people on there themselves and we're going to have a lot of uh, hard-pressed opinions that's going to be coming our way. I love it. I love it. And uh, that's what we expect from Steve Sachs. Well, yeah. There it is. Tell yeah. it like it I mean, is. Yes. I mean, I mean, you want to get in an earthquake, you jump on Quake's back, right? I mean, you want to get it the way it is. That's true. Very good, man. Oh, we can. I know. I know. You talked about it before. I'm glad that uh, that's all uh, coming together for you, man. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. We'll we'll definitely dive into that. You let me know when we're ready. No. I appreciate it. Thank you, TC. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right, we'll let you go. Have yourself a good Memorial Day weekend, my friend. Enjoy. And, and you as well. All right, brother. Be good. There he is, Steve Sachs, my guy, Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer. World Series champ, and of course, the five-time All-Star as well, telling it like it is. How many different hats and how many different substances do you think Gaylord Perry had? (laughs) How about Phil Necro? Or any of the Necro brothers for that? I mean, even if Gaylord Perry just had a hat and substance for every team he pitched for, that'd be a lot. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Crazy stuff. It's true. Fundamentals have gone away. We're over-concerned about when I saw that play and then when when they said that there was the two outs, I was like, what? Yes. Yes. Touch first base. Or if you've got the ball in your glove and you're walking him back, just tag him. Well, he couldn't catch him tagging him because he's, but you don't have to to go to first, go to first because you're going to get to first before Contreras can get home. But I guess, you know, when, when you saw Contreras, you know, coming home, you know, you, well, he freaked him out by stopping it. But, he he played the but, game and he. But here's the he thing. He suckered him in. Here's the thing. Once, you know, uh, people think, oh well, if Contreras touches home first, the run counts. Not in the third out. Contreras can sit there, and you thirty seconds later, you can go touch first base, and that run doesn't count because in the third out, it doesn't have to come. Uh, prior to the runner scoring. And, and that's why the you throw know? to first was even worse because yeah. it still would have been the third out. That's my point. Yeah, exactly. Not thinking. No fundamental. No fundamental sense in you. All right, we come back. We got more for you. Hour number two on this Thunderous Thursday TC Martin Show.